The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Waves for Thursday, January 3rd. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a staff writer at Slate and host of the Slate podcast, Outward. Joining me today is Verilyn Williams, who's a producer in WNYC's Narrative Unit. Welcome back, Verilyn. Thank you, Christina. It's good to be back. So good to have you home. Uh, and calling in all the way from Berkeley, California, is Slate staff writer Lily Loofborough. Welcome back to the show, Lily. Thanks for having me. Uh, so this show is our first one of 2019. Happy New Year. Woo, woo, woo. Yes. We're uh, in the New Year of Fright. Yeah, we're recording it in 2018. So I really feel like a time traveler here. It's pretty special. Um, So we have a very special episode to kick off the New Year of the Waves. We are spending the whole podcast today answering your is it sexist questions. We have a whole slew of good juicy questions on our docket. They're all from listeners. And we've been preparing so hard for this and ready to give you our extremely scientific and unavoidable answers. (laughs) And for our Slate Plus segment today, we're answering another listener question. This one is not quite straightforwardly, is it sexist, but it's really interesting. We're going to talk about how a truly innocent person should respond if falsely accused of sexual harassment or assault. So if you're not a Slate Plus member yet, you can and should start your free two-week trial by visiting slate.com slash thewavesplus. All right. First question. This one comes from Fiona. Let's listen. Hi, The Waves. Um, My name is Fiona. I'm calling with an is it sexist question. Um, Can you tell me if it's sexist that I prefer a female-led work environment? I'm a degreed engineer who worked in oil and gas before switching tax and have since worked in academia and healthcare. I dealt with a lot of toxic masculinity and mansplaining. When I took my current role, my boss and three of the execs at the company were women. It was a fabulous, supportive work environment. Well, it's been a few years, and the boys are back in charge, and frankly, I miss my matriarchy. Every mention of dirt biking and the cowboys makes me cringe. Is it sexist that I want to work in a woman-led workplace again? Please help. Thanks. All right. What do you guys think? Is Fiona being sexist for wanting a woman-led work environment? This is like the, I kind of equate this to like, can um, can non-white people be racist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, I just feel like if, I just think that if you are constantly having to, um, balance you know bro broness or having to balance mansplaining or having to like have to think about that and think about strategies to kind of work around that or be productive in the midst of that not having um that around is like a release and this allows one to as i'm speaking from personal experience allows one to get that much further in your work Mm -hmm. um so on the one hand i guess technically um She's assuming that all men are will come with that type of um, baggage to the workplace, which is sexist. But um, if it's based on her experience, then um, I would say 
that maybe is sexist, but I give her a pass for hmm, once. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of agree that I think what you were saying at the beginning is like, it's hard or possibly impossible to be sexist against men because men don't suffer from sexism, mm-hmm, you know, systemically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, so, yeah, mm-hmm. my first instinct was like, no, this is not sexist at all because what she's chafing against and, and what she doesn't want is sexism. So toxic <laughs> masculinity, you know, in the many forms that that can take. Uh, mansplaining, which is a real thing in a work environment. And I imagine as a degreed engineer who probably works with, uh, you know, male engineers, she might experience some of that. So I don't think that it's sexist to point out that it's more pleasant for her to work with people who don't engage in mansplaining, you know, mm-hmm. if that's true. Um, and I think there are real differences in how women conduct themselves. I, I don't even think that. I mean, it's been proven that, you know, women conduct themselves differently on a team and in positions of authority. Uh, so I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense to want a woman-led work environment, especially, you know, considering the experiences Fiona's had in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, workplace culture has been male by default for decades in ways that we don't even really think about or see like you know conventions ranging from like the famous like office temperature (laughs) (laughs) debate (laughs) you know because men are wearing heavy suits right to making deals on the golf course like you know all of these things that are conventions developed by men and for men and I think it is really amazing when you walk into an environment that doesn't force you to conform to you know, hobbies and pastimes and even metabolisms that aren't yours. And it's not sexist to want that ease because, as Verilyn was saying, like, I think it actually lets you do your work better. <laughs> mm. But I, I think it might be sexist if you structured the hierarchy at your office such that everyone around you had to do it your way or else they'd be seen as less than. Hmm. What do you mean? I mean that... um Because the default has been, I think, a certain form of male sociality that is perceived as the way that you move forward and are advanced and make professional contacts and progress, Mm -hmm. um, I think that is sexist. And I think doing the opposite thing (laughs) would be sexist, too. In other words, if, you know, all deals were struck, oh, God, I don't know how to in the women's without room. stereotyping over manicures or something <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like if, if <laughs> like if you made um if you made female pastimes inescapable and conditional for professional advancement then yes i think that would be sexist yeah i think the i guess the part that i'm just like to this point that we're assuming that all women won't you know like i because i've been around women that um steal my ideas or you know the same things that we kind of like I feel like I'm hyper aware when it's a male when I'm like the only woman in a male room like are you repeating something that I just said and and making pretending that it's your there's something that you came up with or um you know are you expecting me to remember your golf trip and spend all day helping you with a meet like something that's not my job like the things that I'm always like because I, I, we assume that women um, are supposed to do in the workplace I feel like sometimes women can be guilty of that too so I think the maybe the sexist part is assuming that the things that she's were the things that she wants to escape from a male dominated um, office that she won't get it in a in a in a female dominated office you yeah, see like maybe but also there's a reason why those things are 
are, are associated with men and why she in particular is associating those things with men because they are, you know, I don't think she's making <laughs> yeah. a comment like no woman yeah, yeah. would ever, yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, act like I'm dumber than her. But in general, you know, she has that experience more with men. I do think, though, if if that turns into I'm not going to hire men um, and I'm only going to hire women, right. that becomes unethical and possibly illegal, probably illegal. <laughs> Um, Most definitely illegal. We get the you know hate men. What's the what's the right wing group for men? I don't even know. <laughs> National Coalition on. for Men. Yeah, <laughs> totally. they'll be on on it. <laughs> um, and I don't know. Like the one thing that does give me pause is her um mention of dirt biking and the cowboys. Like it sounds like some of what she's objecting to are these. Um, you know, structural and and also socialized behaviors that men engage in far more than women that are exclusionary mm-hmm. to women. Um, but but also just like not sharing interests with your coworkers is something that I definitely feel uh, among women I work with too. You know, I've definitely mm-hmm. worked with women who would talk to each other a lot about um, like weight loss, which is really uncomfortable for me to be around and like makes me feel bad about myself and. You know, right. it, it's not yeah. an interest mm-hmm. I share with them. And that's something that I don't think men talk about a lot, at least not in my experience and certainly not in the workplace. So, you know, I, I think that's something that you might find no matter what gender your workplace is dominated by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think the fact Should that we... she's not saying like, oh, I want to work with women because, you know, women are pushovers. I can boss them around. And like, they're so dumb. Like, that would be sexist. You know, I don't think that anything what she's saying is is sexist against women, definitely. Um, so let me get my calculator out. All right. I will give this... Um, I almost want to give it a zero, but I'll give it a one just because of the, you know, we are kind of engaging in gendered stereotypes here. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm going back and forth because I feel... Uh, so I mean I don't I don't think it'll be a problem for me to share this that I'm I'm going I went back to a, a company that I worked b- with worked with before, and it was I mean public radio is very 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 white, um, but going back I felt like there were like so many more people of color around, and I I just felt like oh man like coming from Slate which is like predominantly white I was like oh man like it's so interesting to just see this many more I mean not even people of color, black people. Like we have an ERG, which is an employee resource group, which is just for black people. And at Slate, we had one, but it was for all the PLCs in the company. And it's one of those things that you didn't know that you needed it until you have it, right? Um, and mm. by no means is public radio like, the um the 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 home of diversity right <laughs> public radio is still very very white um but I you know I don't know whether I would have so in thinking about that and thinking about the difference that I feel being in a company that is a little bit more diverse I am going to also maybe yeah I guess I'll give it a one because I I understand what it I don't think the the desire to have it now if you're discriminating or making choices or you know making a work environment that is like not like men would not be able to survive in then that would be the sexist part so one <laughs> Lily what do you think yeah I mean I think um <laughs> I think missing a different workplace culture than the one that you have is um is human and personal and also you're kind of the subordinate party <laughs> wishing that you mm-hmm. had different leadership yeah true. Um, 
So I think that that is not sexist to me. So I would maybe give that a zero. Um, But if, uh, again, you know, if you wanted to produce a workplace culture that required stereotypically female behaviors and hobbies in order for professional advancement that is unrelated to be granted... I'm going to say that would be an 80, <laughs> you know, like, but that's, I don't think that's what this question is. Um, yeah. So zero then? Yeah. I, we might have okay. our first uh, wow. decimal place <laughs> answer. So 0.6 repetent sexist. Fiona, wow. you are in the clear. Yes, you're good. <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, question two. This one's from Lauren. Hi, my name is Lauren Vassal. Um, I was just going to ask about a uh, tweet that went viral recently. It's by Amber Roberts, and her handle is Astronomer Amber. I mean, you probably saw this tweet. It says, I take out both of my laptops for airport security. Random guy scoffs and says, what do you need two laptops for? Me, well, one is for my astrophysics work, and one is for my artificial intelligence work. And... um, the hashtags are girl boss, AI, women in tech, priceless women. So, and I'm wondering if this is an action sexist. I feel like if I saw someone with two laptops, I might ask them why they have two laptops. I don't, I don't know, but I also feel like sometimes men will have these dumb little conversations with me, um, the kind of conversation they would not have with another man. So I'm wondering if it is sexist that this probably bored security guard who's just trying to make his day better, her day better, be, be a little nicer, asks, why do you have two laptops? Is that sexist? Can I take this one first? Please. Yes. Go for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, your competence isn't being questioned. It's not like people think that a person with two laptops is like better or smarter or more powerful <laughs> than people with one. <laughs> And is like casting aspersions on your gender or sensing some like incommensurability between her and her laptop possession that's gender based. No, there's no assumption in the background here that makes this sexist. No. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I my first instinct on this was kind of to roll my eyes like I don't love tweets like this. It really annoys me. And I think it gives a bad name to, you know, hashtag women in STEM, hashtag women in tech who are actually facing discrimination in their workplaces. Um, I definitely don't think that this man was assuming she wasn't smart or, you know, didn't have an important job. And honestly, I do wonder why you need a separate laptop for your astrophysics work and your (laughs) artificial intelligence work. Like, is there some, like, really intense software program that takes up all the memory on one of them? Um, However, I think even... If the question itself and the, you know, assumptions that may or may not be underlying this question isn't sexist, the question of why do you have two laptops? Um, I don't think that this man or any man would ever make such a dumb small talk comment to Mm -hmm. a guy in line for security in the airport. I never see men making stupid small talk with each other in the same way that they make small talk with me or with other women. So, like, uh, this has kind of become 
a pet peeve of mine, like when men say hi to me on the street, even if it's not a cat call or leering or anything, I just always think, you know, you wouldn't have said hi to a random guy walking by you on the street, even just to say like, hey, how's your day going? Like, I'd never see men just like engaging in that sort of, oh, I wasn't paying attention to you. I was looking straight ahead, possibly lost in a stream mm-hmm. uh, train of thought. And now you're going to force me to sort of look at you and smile and perhaps like giggle self-deprecatingly, which is what I would have done if somebody said, why do you have two laptops? Like, oh, <laughs> well, my astrophysics and then my artificial intelligence. Blah. Like, that's just my instinct. <laughs> due to sexist socialization and I get pissed when somebody interrupts me during my everyday life to you know ask me something dumb when we didn't need to have a conversation to begin with Mm. Verilyn what do you think Oh, that you both have so my initial when I read this when I listened to this question I was I'm such an airport snob I'll just go ahead and say it what does that even mean well because I just you know the people that travel in the holidays because they never travel any other time and now we have to deal with you not knowing you have to take off your shoes and your belt and your so like I probably would have just like if I would have seen her with the two laptops I'd probably my thought probably would have been because you know you're supposed to put your laptop in a container all by itself Mm -hmm. and so I would have probably because I I probably would have rolled my eyes like, oh, newbie, like, why is she traveling with two laptops? You know, That's like, oh, why, like, why what? did you not assume she's an astrophysicist? I would if it was. But I think I would have had that thought, whether it was a, a like anyone, a, any, any gender, any, any combination of identities. I would have just been like, what, like, why are you traveling with? Two laps, but I, but I, I think I also would have assumed that if the guy, the TSA person was talking to to her, it was because she didn't follow the directions oh, or she didn't put it in two different bins. And I'm assuming I would assume because usually if you do all the things, like they often don't even know whose stuff is who, right? So like if you are just like rolling with the punches, so she probably put two laptops but in one bin. In the tweet, and now it says the, it was a random guy, yeah. not the TSA. It, oh. I hadn't noticed that either. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a random guy. That does oh. change it a little bit, in my opinion. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because also I do, you know, I buy that. TSA, I've seen, you know, TSA workers in the airport line make all kinds of dumb small talk with everybody. And I just figured, you know, their jobs must be pretty boring sometimes boring, unless they find yeah. something fun to confiscate. Um, so I would put them a <laughs> Maybe little Maybe he more was slack. missing his flight. I don't know. I I kind of, I, my, origin, my original thought was a little bit along the lines of, of what Lily said. But what you just said as far as the ways in which our days get interrupted in ways that, like, even there might have been other reasons why he even if he thought it he wouldn't have said it out loud hmm. to a man um so yeah that does increase it on the sexist scale for me but i just wanted to be honest about what my initial thought was which is just like i mean maybe he just said something because you were doing the most at the airport line. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more i mean judgy, i'm gonna like, i'm gonna like out myself here as a two laptop owner <laughs> Oh. Who travels with them? What kind of <laughs> impressive STEM work do you do, Lily? <laughs> uh, it's classified. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I was just noticing that it is a random guy and not the TSA guy, um, which I think our caller might have misinterpreted. And that I do see your point, Christina. Like, I, I think that that's that is annoying um but i actually have seen guys ask each other that kind of thing too like mm. I, I that particular kind of like oh like it, especially when it ha- it comes to like tech stuff um 
I feel like there's a version of kind of broy agro competition that can mm. rear its head. So I, I totally agree with your like general principle that being stopped on the street and told to smile or whatever is intolerable and 100% sexist. Um, the fact that this random guy is scoffing at a fellow passenger and questioning her <laughs> needlessly makes him a total jackass. Um, I'm not. I'm still not sure it's sexist. Hmm. The other thing that stood out to me in this tweet was the use of the hashtag girl boss, which I know um, I think on on Hannah and June and Noreen's week they talked about. I mean, you know, if you're if you really are want to be taken seriously and are getting mad that people don't take you seriously <laughs> as an astrophysicist and an mm-hmm. AI programmer yeah. or whatever, like perhaps don't qualify the word boss mm-hmm. with the marker of your gender and especially maybe mm-hmm. don't call yourself a girl. Thank you. Yeah, but I I also, you know, I think the excuse that our caller Lauren gave, like, oh, you know, maybe this person was just trying to make her day better. I don't believe that anyone thinks anyone's day is going to be better by, you know, you (laughs) interrupting their train of thought to say, like, hey, you know, why the two laptops? Like, eyes in your own bin. Um, Although, (laughs) you know, perhaps it (laughs) really was like an annoyed I'm running late and, you know, I'm mad that you have so many electronics that you need to put in a bin. Well, she does say that he scoffs, so it's yeah. clear that he was like, like, what, you know, like, why do you have two laptops? Like, why are you, like, taking up more time in the line? I don't know. That's, I think that's the way that I read it, but I'm, I think she does go, she does go on to say, you know, uh, men will have these dumb little conversations with me, the kind they would not have with another man. So, and like, Taking up the tweet, I think she used the tweet to kind of talk about what you were talking about, Christina. So thinking about that, I'm ready to rate this. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. What would you rate? I definitely, because I also have an inability not to smile when someone tells me to smile. It's the bane of my existence. So I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and give it a 6.5. Okay. Lily, what do you think? No, I'm just going to give it a zero. I don't think it is. Wow. Oh. You are a hard ass, Lily. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it's a three. Uh, not sexist. I don't think he was assuming she didn't have an important job or wasn't a scientist, but it is sexist. I think there is a about a three level sexism to just randomly interrupting a woman's life to ask a meaningless question. So we're pretty well split on this. Um, and because Lily ran it a zero, I win. Our average is 3.16 rep attend. <laughs> Thank you for the good question, Lauren. Our next question comes from a listener named Sarah. Hi, The Waves. My name is Sarah. I am calling from Austin, Texas. And I was calling because I recently went to a concert. It was general mission. It was outside. Um all a single level floor, which everybody was standing around watching a central stage. And as usual, I was having a hard time seeing the front stage. Not to my surprise, but all of the guys standing, or all the people in front of me who were blocking my view were guys. And guys of all different heights. I'm 5'6", so not particularly short, but many guys were in front of me. Um, blocking my view, and I spent most of the concert hoping that they would leave their spot or tilt their heads another way or something. And then I looked around, and I saw so many other women having the same issues, many women that were much uh, shorter than myself, just staring at the ground, 
not able to see the front stage at all, which is one of the main things you want to do when you come to a live concert. So my question is, are general admission concerts sexist? Thanks. Bye. I love this question so much. And I should Me say, too. Uh, I'm 5'2". I think we should all disclose how tall we are before we answer this five question. 5'1". 5'3". All right. So we're all shorties. Uh, our <laughs> producer, Danielle, who is uh, nice and tall and comes from a family of basketball players, uh, <laughs> is shaking her head right now. Maybe we'll have to get her input on this, too. But um, I, I love this question because it's something I think about a lot as someone who loves music and is short and always has been short. Um And one moment of like extreme vindication that I felt in my life as a concert going short person was when I worked at the Washington City paper and we had an etiquette issue. And I interviewed um, Bob Boylan from NPR, NPR Music, you know, All Songs Considered. He's been he goes to, uh, you know, hundreds of concerts a year. If you go to concerts in D.C., you see him at everything. I asked him what good concert etiquette was. And one of the first things he said was, if you're tall, you've got to move to the back or the sides. Mm. In fact, at the Tiny Desk concerts at NPR, which, you know, all folks at NPR can go and see these um, musicians play live, he'll he'll say when he's introducing the band, like, hey, short people come up front. If you're up front and you're not short, like, make some room. And I thought that was... Oh, it, he didn't gender it or anything, but, mm. you know, as we all know, on average, you know, women are shorter than men. I felt like that was some good allyship on his part. And he isn't short, so, you know, he wasn't necessarily benefiting from that, but... But um, it also made me think of uh, the Riot Girl movement and, you know, it's accepted practice at punk shows and other concerts featuring feminist acts to say girls to the front or femmes to the front. And B- Bikini Kill um, and other Riot Girl bands sort of pioneered this practice. It was seen as kind of revolutionary at the time because... Men would be in the front. Women couldn't see. Also, men would be moshing in the front. And if you're short and you're in the mosh pit, you're going to get an elbow to the eye instead of, Mm. like, the torso or some other body part that can better tolerate moshing. Um, And also in part because when the women were on stage and a lot of times they're singing about sexual violence and whatever, they wanted to see women in the front and and not men. And, um, yeah, I think that that general concert etiquette in the crowd – or, or disregard for what I think should be concert etiquette is sexist. That's totally fascinating. I am so glad to know that. <laughs> like, I, I don't go to concerts for this reason. Like, it just, it's it's boring to me. Because, yeah, yeah the, the, the line about just staring at the ground, not being able to see the front stage and all these women doing that is so sad. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, it's just what I end up doing. Um and I think it's it's one of those problems that is invisible to taller people because they don't understand how maddening it is to be somewhere and end up like enclosed staring at a bunch of backs, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it just like I didn't understand that people reclining their seats on airplanes causes tall people physical pain. <laughs> like, you know, that the constraints that different people have to deal yeah. with are, are really not visible to those who aren't similarly troubled. But I, I do feel like this is less sexist than heightist. I mean, that's not a thing, but it is a thing, right? I mean... Tall people to the back and the sides make so much sense as a solution to this. Um, but I'm not sure that, I mean, should tall women be in the front? 
Well, so here's the, here's why I think it's sexist. <laughs> because I think most of the time I've seen, and even as a short person, I'm aware, I'm looking around, I'm like, is, can everyone see? Like, sometimes I don't even sit because I, I usually have big a big afro here, right? And so, like, if I'm in a place where it's a seated event, I'm aware of, like, who's around me. Can the person mm. behind me see, you know, the stage? So my... um just by experience of going to general admission places, I think men are just less self-aware. Like they're just less able to like just check, you know, make sure your community around you is like, okay. So that's the part. Like I just think on average, just based on, you know, being at places where people, you know, first come, first serve, that I tend to see um, women looking around and like checking in and just being like, Hey girl, are you okay? And like, even like allowing me to go in front of them. Whereas with men, I, I, but I'm also able to ask, like I ask and I, but that also sometimes it's like, you have to smile and you have to do the whole, like, can I, can you like, you know, let do me a favor. <laughs> like I'm really good at that. And so I just use that to get to the front and to be able to see. Um, but I noticed that I have to do that a lot more when it, there, there are men in front of me. Hmm. Yeah. To your point, Lily, I think you make a good point, um, but also I think we should recognize that height intersects with other systems of oppression, and you know, <laughs> true, true, you can't totally separate height from sex and gender. Danielle's shaking her head again, but I'm not sure if it's just that's something she's thinking of unrelated. I really want to get her on the mic here, if you wouldn't mind, Danielle. Danielle As a tall woman, think? I think we need your perspective. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm five eight. Oh. That's, like, not even, like, that tall, but I guess because I'm so short, you seem extremely tall to me. And you have a presence. (laughs) Tall enough. Like, my sister's almost six feet. Like, my yeah, I come from a tall family. I think, for me, like, there there are times that, like, there are men, when men are, like, over six feet, it's, like, hard for me to see at concerts, but I feel like, generally, when I'm at concerts, I let shorter people in front of me, because I'm like, yeah, I can see over you, and I, I, I... don't generally see men doing that so it's not a problem for you yes. because you can see over them so why not move to the exactly. side or the back or whatever yes. yeah like i'm happy to oblige like i know that i'm on the taller side so thank you for recognizing your privilege um the other thing that i do want to recognize though is that people aren't always in you know relationships or friend groups where everyone is the same height so it's you know there is the possibility that you'd be like breaking you you would be forced to stand in a different place than your friend or you know if you want to stand if you're like a tall woman with a shorter partner you're like one of you is going to be either not able to see or blocking someone else's view unless you find a good spot over by the side where everyone can be happy so i don't think there's a simple answer to this um But another thing I want to mention is that this especially bothers me at concerts or shows or whatever that are explicitly feminist or, or, you know, involve a band that is very outspoken politically on social justice and equity and like radical redistributions of power. Like I went to a Pussy Riot show, for instance, at uh, the Black Cat, a really great general admission concert venue in D.C., Pussy Riot, like a feminist, uh, like pretty socialist, I would say, um, band or or performance art group from Russia. And all their songs are political. And like there's just dudes up at the front, like pushing through, blocking women's view. And I'm like, it's it seems uh, like you don't really deserve to be there. You're kind of not listening to the message if you're a dude trying to get to the front of this feminist punk show. 
Um, and, you know, not to call out anyone in particular, but I've noticed also at the shows that we do, the live shows for The Waves, this very feminist podcast, a lot of times men are the first ones to come to the mic to ask a question. And mm. I try to make a point to say, you know, not that there's anything wrong with men asking questions at the show, but I do think that if you are a man in a space that is feminist and, and trying to envision a society that is more feminist, you should possibly think harder about making space for other people, women yes. in particular. Oh, totally, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone knows where I stand on this. I think that that uh, maybe not general admission shows in general, because I can't really think of a good alternative to, to general admission standing room only shows. Um, but I do think that the the fact that like men w will refuse to or, or, you know, insist on just standing in the front because they can and maybe they got there first is sexist. I'm going to give that an eight. Yeah, um, I guess mm -hmm. I feel like I'm I'm I'm. I've gone back and forth in my head. I think, I guess I'm going to be very eager to like self-centered and just talk about my own experience. And when this has happened to me, I felt that it was a man not like being self-aware. So I'm also, I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay. Lily? I totally agree that <laughs> you're right that height intersects with gender and other <laughs> parameters. And that's correct. Um, and this really has actually stopped me from going to things. Um, yeah. So I resent it deeply. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I think part of the problem is I end up so furious about it that I really can't mm -hmm. even enjoy the thing. Because yes. anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so I do think it's a radical failure of empathy <laughs> whenever anybody Ouch. does it because you're just destroying the experience for the person yes. behind you. Um, empathy, I like that. But I, 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 I don't know. I guess sexist is just sort of a complicated category. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say five because I think it's height. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I agree that it's an, it, it's an intersection, but I think the height is the really key term, and that really the directions that we're giving are also largely just to tall people. I don't know. So I'm gonna say five. <laughs> All right. Our sexist rating is 7.16 repetend. Pretty sexist. <laughs> Everyone, please take our advice into account the next time you go to a concert. All right. We've got a, an unidentified caller next. Hi, The Waves. Is it sexist of me to dismiss Elizabeth Warren as a potential 2020 candidate based on her decision to take a test um, about her genetic markers and to make a speech on foreign policy that doesn't ring true. This is a really interesting one. Uh, who wants to go first? I mean, I I can start. I think I think there's going to be a lot to say about this one, but like, I, so I would say, I mean, strictly answering the question, no, those are not sexist reasons. But. Um, I think it's also worth noting that we're actually very good at rationalizing our decisions after the fact. <laughs> like, humans are not rational actors. We decide things on impulse and for reasons that are often very opaque to us. Mm. And, you know, one of my favorite experiments, like, gives, two, gives people, like, these two images to choose from. And they pick one, but then they're shown the image they didn't choose and asked why they chose that one over the other. <laughs> and they always come up with a reason. Mm. Um, so I think that there is real opacity to the way that we decide things and that we um, it is wise to keep in mind that 
we don't understand our own internal processes very well (laughs) and that internalized biases and sexism and racism and all kinds of things are um, managing us in ways we don't quite understand. Dismiss is the kind of word that makes me worry. Um, He said, you know, is it sexist of me to dismiss Elizabeth Warren as a potential candidate? Look, icy male candidates survive bad decision after bad decision and loss after loss without people mm. writing them off the same way. They seem ready to whenever a female candidate does one thing they dislike. And I do think yes. that is worth thinking about. Yeah, I yeah, I I uh, co-sign 100 because I was just thinking like the reasons that he gave. I was just like. Um, our current president <laughs> said that he wanted to grab women by the pussy and people still voted for him. Um, and so, yeah, I totally think that this is like 100% sexist because the, the idea of dismissing her as a candidate, despite her political record, but there's so many reasons to like choose not to. But when something about the word dismiss m- makes me feel like you just like roho off, like, hmm. um, and I think that there is a way in which female candidates can be wrote off as opposed to um, campaigned against or, you know, like taken seriously um, as someone that will that could win, even if you don't agree with, you know, her political leanings or the fact that she decided to take a genetic test, which is, I don't I guess I don't even understand that as a reason to dismiss someone. Maybe I don't understand the issue. Well, so at the 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 very valid arguments against Elizabeth Warren for taking this test. She was trying to prove that she had uh, Native American ancestry. And, you know, because I, can I just interrupt to say because Trump kept it, kept attacking her as like Pocahontas? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so in so, response to that and to shut down that line of argument, this was right. a very bad attempt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, you're totally right, Lily. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of indigenous activist groups and, you know, plenty of Native American tribes have come out and said, like, this is exactly the kind of thing that undermines tribal sovereignty because we don't decide tribal membership based on genetic tests. And in fact, genetic Mm. tests cannot accurately determine ancestry and it advances a lot of really harmful ideas about the biological basis of uh, race and Mm. and tribal identification. So, you know, I too, especially after reading a lot of pieces that, um, you know, folks with Native ancestry wrote about it. I, I too, really am kind of upset that she did that. However, I think it's important to note, as you said, Lily, that she did that in response to a sexist attack from Donald Trump. Um, Rebecca Onion wrote a really good piece in Slate, I thought, about why the uh, Trump's Pocahontas insult was not just racist, but sexist. Um, and it was about the idea that authenticity is something that we don't take seriously. We we think anytime a woman is trying to, you know, uh, make authentic statements about herself in public that she's doing so to be manipulative um, and mm-hmm. that she's lying in some way. So I think that if you uh, are responding to her response to a sexist attack by dismissing her, I completely agree with you guys. The word dismiss stood out a lot to me too. Then, um, you know, you might want to consider whether you also dismiss out of hand every other candidate who has done a regrettable mm-hmm. thing. So, like, uh, if if you think that her taking that genetic test was racist, like, think about, like, do you also dismiss Bernie Sanders when he said that, you know, oh, a lot of these white folks who who didn't feel comfortable voting for a black person aren't necessarily racist? You mm-hmm. know, do, do you dismiss him right. for that? Do you dismiss Kamala Harris's do you dismiss Kamala Harris as a possible candidate um, because she was a prosecutor and she defended the death penalty and, you know, three strikes rule in California? Um, 
and you know, I, I think that there's uh the way you put it lily was like more eloquent than i ever could that like there you can possibly make decisions that are backed up by logical reasoning but that aren't those logical reasons aren't necessarily the whole story of why you make that decision and i think there's yeah. a difference between deciding you don't want to vote for someone and dismissing them as a viable candidate because women have right. had to exceed you know much higher standards to be seen even as electable because you have to be seen as able to overcome sexism from voters. So I think people's perceptions of sexism of voters can also make them make sexist decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I also was curious about what her speech on foreign policy, what didn't ring true about it, particularly because, you know, women have to work a lot harder to be seen as tough um, in, in the foreign policy sphere. And I'm not sure if that's what this caller had an issue with, but... This is slightly random and tangential, but I found it really interesting to think about. So I don't know if you guys saw um, there was a recent interview with Melissa McCarthy about her her time doing stand up. And one of the things that she said um, kind of blew my mind just because I hadn't thought about the dynamics of, um, you know, doing a type five or whatever when heckling is a concern. And so she said that, you know, when she was doing stand up in the early days, she would get heckled, um, which, of course, every comic has to figure out how to deal with. But <laughs> in her case, it tended to be things like take your top off or whatever. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. And um, obviously, that's not a form of heckling that male comics have to deal with as they're coming up and refining their their material. And And B, she said that the thing that really bothered her about it was that they wouldn't stop, that the heckler won't stop until you totally annihilate them. So what she developed a way to do was to just attack the person until they 100% shut down with shame, like insulting <laughs> oh them God. in every possible way. And and she's saying, you know, and they, they finally do. But you feel horrible about it because you've just done this to a random person you don't know. The room feels bad about it because it's not actually fun to watch somebody get destroyed verbally like that. And then you've used up three minutes of your five doing that. And now you have to transition back to your to your actual material. Oh, God. And she was like, I just couldn't. I, I was exhausted from doing that. She was like, I just and, and it was so revealing to me, right, to think about <laughs> the amount of work that I think a lot of women have to expend on countering the attacks before they can even get to the thing they are doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's why, as much as I object to what Warren did with that genetic test, like the impossible position that she was put in, because if you look at the articles preceding that, they were all like, well, she's going to have to address this, you know, this question of her lineage because Trump had made it central to her candidacy. And so she did. But it really, there, it was a no-win situation, except perhaps for actually including Native communities in her discussion, which she didn't do and should have. Yeah. Um, so, again, I think that the criticism of her is totally fair and valid, but um, that McCarthy thing just stuck with me as, like, the energy suck that goes into trying to neutralize those attacks before you can even begin to refine your work. Yeah. All right. Let's rate this one. Is uh, this listener, which thank, thank them for listening, and a great question, are they sexist? Um, I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say 7.5. I mean, I, I feel like um, the challenge of this question is that it is, it's, it's aggressively framed to make us respond to the reasons mm -hmm. that are given. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I don't think those reasons are sexist. Um, so answering the question straightforwardly, 
those are not sexist reasons. I do think dismissing a candidate for those two reasons might be. <laughs> so I'm going to say like, I'm going to say four. Okay. Verilyn? I think, I think dismissing her as a candidate even if you don't agree with her, how she's, you know, her political choices and her policies, like just the act of dismissing her as a viable candidate is extremely sexist. Um, I also think that we don't have enough information. So I'm going to give it a seven. All right. 6.16 Repetend. Uh, that the listener is a little bit more than halfway sexist. All right. Our next question comes from a listener named Tanya. Hi, uh, my name is Tanya Neely. So I have a question about saying please in workplace emails. Early in my career, when I was a design assistant, I sent an email to our client requesting CAD files that we needed to do our job. It meant something like, hello, can you send me these files when you get a chance? Thank you. My supervisor was CC'd on the email and told me that I should say please. That was at the time that lean in was a big deal, and as a woman in the workplace, saying please just felt like it was putting me in a lesser power position, and the comments from a male superior felt condescending. I think my email was perfectly polite and not demanding, although tone can be hard to translate in emails. I also fear that by adding please, the tone could be read as, can you please send these drawings? Anyway, that comment still bugs me years later, as I have to send emails requesting information daily, and I always end up with an internal debate about whether I should say please. I'd love to hear what the panel thinks. Can you please answer my question on the call-in show? Thank you. I love that Tanya asked us to I please answer her question. I know. <laughs> I will jump in and just say that I obsess about things like this all the time. I'm the kind of person that will write the email, then go back and take out of all, take out all the like I thinks and the please and the, the unnecessary things that we're socialized a lot of times as women to do. Um, so I absolutely resonate with this, and I absolutely think that the fact that I mean it might also be like a age thing, um, but then I don't know whether he would have said that to a, a new young uh, male employee to say please. It's just like. I think that the the idea that when a woman asks for something in a very direct and assertive way, it's always like a, oh, like, <laughs> we're so used to women apologizing for doing their jobs or apologizing for, um, you know, try, the, the amount of times I say sorry um, when I'm just trying to, like, someone is literally in the doorway on the train and I'm trying to get in the train and I'm like, oh, sorry. And it's like, wait, damn it. Why did I say sorry? I just need you to move. It's your fault, you know? So <sighs> we don't know, but I do still think that um, it's a, often an expectation and all maybe it's a subconscious, this internalized sexism that we always have to, like, um, ma- like please people or, like, go out of our way to kind of... um I don't know, like, it's, it's like if you ask, yeah, like if you're asking someone to do a job, that's their job. Saying please is like, why do I have to say please for you to do something that's not, like, it's naturally part of my job to ask you for this and it's your job to do this. So isn't your, isn't it your responsibility? This is one of those things that I think maybe, you know, instead of telling, don't say I think, you, uh, you should just so say what right, you think. Marilyn. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, please can I continue speaking? Um, This is one of those (laughs) things that definitively we should change the workplace standards to 
make them more like what we only ask women to do. So I know women are often told, you know, stop putting exclamation points in your emails. Stop doing please, thank you, like uh, start demanding things instead of asking for them. Don't raise your voice at the end of a sentence. I think actually a lot of these Ugh, I said, I think again. Oh, my God. Now I'm in my head about this. Um, a lot of these things actually just make workplace interactions more pleasant. And I think instead mm-hmm. of uh, telling women they need to be more like men, we should ask that men be more like women. I have had um, I-, I have seen a marked difference when I've had a male boss versus a female boss in my comfort asking for things I need. And uh, and taking criticism because, you know, when women will put exclamation points on things or say please and thank you or, you know, sandwich a criticism between two compliments. And, and a lot of the male bosses I've had haven't done that. <laughs> and, you know, that could be uh, coincidental, but I don't think it is just based on every other account of workplace behavior I've heard from women. And I, I just enjoy I think it's a lot easier and more fun and more comfortable to interact in an environment where people aren't just being aggressive and and not engaging in these niceties. That's a fascinating point, <gasps> and you might have changed my mind Yay. about this. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, um, I, one of the more life-changing documents for me, I feel like, when I was sort of getting started trying to write on the internet was... Um, Corey at the all published this thing about how men and women pitch stories. And he was really just saying like, look, I just think it's worth printing a couple of examples. So people see and like, you know, so like the inquiry letter from a man that he published was like, do you take pitches? Should I just write something and send it? Do I have to tickle the balls? I want to write for the all damn it. And then inquiry letter from a woman, as a longtime admirer of your site and non-too-frequent <laughs> registered commenter, I've been oh too shy God. to pitch as I've never felt like my work measured up to your fine standards. Ugh. Right? And I, <laughs> I was wow. definitely number two. <laughs> yeah. um, and I started to be a lot blunter and actually <laughs> it, mm. doing things that to me felt kind of rude, to be honest, um, in my emails. And it worked. Wow. And yes. it was horrifying to me. It's so funny because I, I often, and that, this is how much I think about this, because as a producer, I send a lot of emails and I'm always asking people for things. And I think that when it's something I'm reaching, when I'm reaching out to someone first, I do do the, I, I put a lot more niceties and I do the whole like, you know, I love you, like the sandwich stuff, like, you know, like context, question, context, ask, like all those things. But I now tell myself that it's better to just respond right away via mm. my phone, because if I do that, I can be a lot more um, blunt and direct. Because honestly, the all that consideration takes up time that I don't mm. often have. So I... I like I often feel like it's so, so much more work to do the kind of niceties that we have been socialized to do. And I'm envious of like not being able to just say the thing um, because often that's my instinct to say the thing. But then I go back and kind of being like, oh, like I'm just like, how can this be heard? Like, who am I emailing and how can I write this in a way that they would actually hear me? And I often feel like. I'm actually able to be heard if people see the like, please excuse this is sent from my iPhone. Like I <laughs> I think that people are often more able to hear a direct um response hmm. from me when it has hmm. that on the bottom. Like it's almost like the longer I take to respond, the like le- like 
lasted like wait what you know and I've, and I've been accused of being too blunt sometimes or too like like why did you ask me in that way or like um you know did I do something to you and I'm like wait what are you talking about you mean when I ask you for this thing that you told me you were gonna get to me like mm. last week <laughs> um so yeah I've been on the other side of the like trying to just be blunt and having to reconsider that's super interesting I mean, Christina, the reason that you're convincing me is because, I mean, I, I did that. I, I think I have enough residual training and like, you know, language of supplication that there's probably a balance I'm unintentionally striking. But um, but I will say that, like, I agree with you that the bosses that I have had who have done compliment sandwiches <laughs> constantly, I it has been such a pleasure to work for them. And when I don't get that, I feel super insecure yeah. and scared. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm always just like, is this so much? I mean, I, I'm not saying why, like you have to answer why, but I think like, no, no, that's, yeah, that's the thing that I I have in my head because I'm a people pleaser. And also, ultimately, I think any good manager, or any good um, boss or, you know, when you want something for someone is you have to let the person you have to be heard. Right. And so. Like, regardless of what your intention is, if you are, if you say something in a way that the person can no longer hear you because they're caught up in like, oh, did I do something wrong? You know, then that's hmm. l- less efficient for me. And so taking the time and to think about it and consider it is worth my time. But I just wish that I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Cause that would just be so much more efficient. It does make me really sad to to listen to Tanya's question and hear her say that she always has this internal debate about whether she should say please. I mean, it it seems like such an insignificant small word that doesn't take long either to type or to not type, but it does carry a lot of weight when you're thinking about how are people going to judge me if I don't write please versus my male counterpart who doesn't write please. Okay, so what what what's the is it sexist question here? Is it sexist to demand that someone write please in their emails or is it sexist that women are expected to write please it sounds like it's that yeah i mean so christina how would you feel about this as like a a proposed (laughs) guideline that like um i i do think that adding please feels like conceding power Hmm. a little bit for some reason like and it's stupid that graciousness should like have come to mean that but that's what happens to things that are feminized um and it's it's horrifying. But like what if it's it's a thing where like the bosses and those in power always include the pleases and the grace the and the grace <laughs> and those on the other end don't have to as much and can be blunter. I like that a lot because if it's coming from a person in power, you already know that, you know, it's mandatory that you do that and it's not making a request, it's basically an assignment. Right. Um, also, the the fact that she phrases this as a question, can you send me these files when you get a chance instead of please send me these files when you get a chance or just please send me these files? You know, I think there are a lot of it's not all hinging on the word please. There are a lot mm. of ways that this is sort of. Exactly. It's conforming to like the basic like supplicant format yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the idea of like her boss saying say please is that I like that it's going to be taken as like a demand. But the idea that she already, the fact that she already said when you get a chance (laughs) already implies that you don't have to do it immediately. But when you get a chance, can you need to, you should do it at your convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So saying please is kind of redundant. Let's say, is it sexist to expect, uh, 
or, or to ask someone who works for you to to write please in, in all their emails? I am going to assume that this boss would not have done it if if it was if I guess we don't know, but my assumption is that if if this was a male employee, he wouldn't have registered that she didn't say please. So I'm going to go ahead and give this. And also just because of how much time it takes up in my life and how many emails I send, I'm going to go ahead and give this a very, very high score of nine. Uh, I'm going to say I agree with you, Verilyn. I can't see somebody asking a man to you know, write please in addition to phrasing <laughs> it as a question and saying when you get a chance. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to give it another uh, 8.5. Yeah, I think I'm at 8.5, too. We brought you over, Lily. (laughs) We brought you over to the dark side. You guys convinced me. (laughs) All right, 8.6, Rapid 10. That's your answer, Tanya. And please don't feel obligated to use the word please in your emails going forward. Unless you have to for your job. All right, recommendations. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Go first. I want to recommend um, an interview from by the one and only Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> she um, just recently interviewed Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. Um, they just welcomed their first daughter into the world. And um, Gabby, because we're on a first name basis nickname, <laughs> Gabby um, talks about her journey um, to motherhood through surrogacy. And um, it's like she says things that I hadn't really even considered in this the different ways that um, surrogacy can can come about. Um, she also did IVF in vitro fertilization. She tried um, she's tried to give birth um, in her body nine different times through in vitro oh and feel and had like nine different miscarriages. Um, and then realized that it was because of an undiagnosed. I'm forgetting the thing that she was diagnosed with. And and the thing that she was diagnosed with was something that showed up for her in her um, in her early I think like in her early twenties, and she was put on birth control. And so it was just interesting to kind of think about the the ways in which like a lot of times when women older women are trying to have baby babies, she talks about like age is beca- is a thing that like always comes up. Like everyone says like well, because of your age. But actually what it was was something that just went undiagnosed from her twenties because she was put on birth control to take care of the symptoms from this this um diagnosis. And I thought that that was just like just something that I'm just so glad we're at a stage now where everyone like women are just more able to just speak openly about these things. Cause like, you know, if I do decide, you know, wake up one day in my late thirties and decide like, Oh, actually I do want to have a baby after all. Um, like I can, I don't have to just trust that what my doctor is telling me. I can, you know, I don't have to go through it myself. And it was just so great hearing Gabby talk about this and then the interview was it went all it talk about intersectionality like it also went into raising black boys because they um Dwayne has um sons that she's been a stepmother to and then they even go into like you know what does it mean to raise a black woman or a, a, a black girl and I was just so um appreciative of hearing like these two superstars talk about their experiences so openly in a way that like not only it was telling me something I didn't know and it's like I may one day have to go through this and it was just great to hear something new because I think as media makers and people that consume so much there's so much information back and forth and I was just like wow this is actually something I've never heard before and um, I probably I don't know whether um, 
I mean, I don't know who else. I mean, I'm just glad we're at a time where women can be open about their journey to motherhood and have it be like different every time. Even Michelle Obama, which um, I don't know if, if you guys have read her book. She talks about. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> her journey to um, Amelia and Sasha through in vitro. So I'm like, wow, like, is this this common? And like, why does it feel like is we're just at a point now where women are talking about this? Sounds like a really fantastic interview. Good recommendation. Um, I am recommending two things. The first is the act of buying yourself stuff from holiday gift guides. This is a tradition that I celebrate with myself Mm -hmm. every year as I'm looking at gift guides, thinking about what to get my family and friends. I buy things for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So normally I don't recommend things that slate published in this section because I think it's a little egotistical, but we did publish a very good gift guide. You can find it if you just Google like Slate 2018 Holiday Gift Guide or something. Googling as we I, speak. <laughs> I bought something on it that I need to recommend. It's a hot sauce. But that the word hot sauce is really an understatement for what this is. It's um, recommended by Slate editor Laura Bennett. It's called the Lao Ganma Chili Crisp Sauce. It comes from China. You can order it on Amazon. Uh, this thing has changed my life, I swear. I've had it on grilled cheese. I've had it on roasted cauliflower. <laughs> I've had it on eggs. Laura Bennett recommends it on pizza. It's You kind of spoon it onto things. It's textured and crispy. There's um, chili peppers and peppercorns in it, entire um, soybeans, like little edamames. Um, it's garlicky. It's not incredibly spicy, but does have a nice zing to it. Um, there's MSG in it, which like I'm a huge MSG head. Um, I, I just can't get enough of it. You'll want to eat it on everything. I think this is the first time I've even recommended a food on this show, but, um, mm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't rest until I recommended it publicly somewhere. So buy yourself things on Holly gift guides, especially the Lao Gan Ma, uh, crispy chili hot sauce. Yes. Lily, what do you have? So what I want to recommend is actually an old movie. Uh, it's mm. from 2012, and it's called No. And it is uh, it was directed by Paula Larraín, who's a Chilean director. And the reason I'm recommending it is because it has given me a lot to think about. Um, I'm going to just tell you briefly what it's about. So in 1988, when Chile was still under the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, um, there was under international pressure, he he agreed to have a plebiscite where people could vote uh, to either keep him, that's the yes vote, C, si, or to get rid of him, and that's the no vote, no. So people could vote C si or no. Um, and it had been long enough since elections had happened that they actually had to kind of teach people what a ballot was and how to like write onto your ballot correctly. Um, But the really interesting problem that they had (laughs) was that uh, people were so apathetic at that point because when you've been under dictatorship for 16 or 17 years, you don't really believe that's going to matter. An election seems like it's probably going to be rigged. So anyway, the story of No is about Gael Garcia Bernal stars as this guy who was hired to um, spearhead the campaign for the No side. (laughs) Um, which had the weird challenge of trying to both like highlight all the atrocities of the dictatorship and also get people really excited about voting. Oh, wow. And so he was a, so Chile, I don't know if you guys know this, but it was like a great neoliberal experiment. Like Pinochet brought in the Chicago boys and it became like a free market, like Petri dish um, where free market principles were allegedly given, you know, a license to run. That's actually not totally true, but that was the line. So it has since become a very commercial minded country. So 
what this guy did was actually decide that, no, you actually couldn't put all the sad footage of the disappeared people and their families because it was too lame. And you had to instead, he com- he commissioned a commercial jingle <laughs> Oh my God! for the campaign and put together these 15 minute, for like for a couple of weeks, he was allowed 15 minutes on TV every day to like put something out for the campaign. And so they would put out these almost psychotic like melanges of like, you know, people happily riding on horseback carrying the Chilean flag and then they're partying and then they're having a picnic with baguettes and then they're dancing down the streets of Chile singing the jingle song and and <laughs> the symbol was a rainbow and the campaign was no. It is the, one of the most truly schizoid campaigns that has ever been conducted, but it actually speaks so, and it worked. The no one. It got people out of their apathy. <laughs> I mean, this is it's a more complicated story. But it, it's it's such an interesting movie because it explores how um <laughs> how political despair is paralyzing and how a really disappointingly banal <laughs> like commercial yeah. campaign might have helped to save a country by mm-hmm. getting people happy and singing jingles. Anyway, it blows my mind every time I watch it. And I watched it recently and I've been thinking a lot about like what positivity is even possible in this political moment. <laughs> and I feel like it has a lot of bizarre sideways lessons to that, that about that. Yeah, that actually reminds me of something that Al Gore has talked about um, in regard to climate change, which is that like you need to give people something to hope for and to yeah. live for. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's, you know, uh, what will motivate you to do anything if you think nothing will change and, you know, there's no hope for you. That sounds really, really good, Lily. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you to our production assistant, Alex Barish, our producer, Danielle Hewitt, and happy 2019. For Verilyn Williams and Lily Lou Furrow, I'm Christina Cotterucci. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>